welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Dr. Nick J. Shulo, Assistant Professor of Communications at Texas A&M University, Kingsville. We will discuss his article, Conversations with the Law, Irony, Hyperbole, and Identity Politics, or Sock Passe, Wyclef Sean, Shadas, and Haitian Jack, a hip-hop creole fusion of rhetorical resistance to the law, which was published in the Oklahoma City University Law Review and in the book Hip-Hop and the Law. So welcome back to the podcast, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's been uh, quite some time. You did a, uh, an interview with, uh, with Luce a while back, and I'm glad to have you back on to talk about this uh, fun, creative, and interesting paper. Um, but I-, I wonder if you could start by telling listeners a little bit about who Wyclef Jean is and why you chose him and his work as sort of the focus or the foil for this particular project. So I think most people who know Wyclef or or who might have some familiarity with him probably know him as one of the three members of the hip-hop group, the the Fugees. Uh, And the Fugees were popular from roughly the mid-90s through maybe the mid-2000s. And and so I think that when we're talking about some of the best hip-hop albums of all time, the Fugees, the score is often regarded as one of those albums. And that's how I got introduced to Wyclef. Um, I, I had grown up with hip hop uh, predominantly in the 1990s, uh, kind of af- just after the NWA and Public Enemy era to the sort of Tupac and Biggie era. And the score was, I think, actually the first CD I ever bought. And so... One of the reasons that I'm interested in Wyclef, aside from what I think is some pretty convincing or or argumentatively robust lyrics, uh, is also his immigrant story. He immigrated to the United States, uh, to New Jersey, uh, when he was nine years old, from Haiti. And I think that Haiti is a country that we so commonly misunderstand or simply forget about. That Wyclef Jean's story as an immigrant, as someone trying to make it in sort of multicultural New Jersey and New York, uh, and coming from a country that hadn't always gotten uh, its fair share, and in in fact had been treated pretty poorly by most people uh, or by most other governments that had uh, connected with it, made Wyclef an interesting subject. And I think that what he does that's interesting is he doesn't shy away from talking about his immigrant experience his experience with law enforcement, his experience um, trying to navigate a world that doesn't always seem fair for immigrants or people of color. Well, so how exactly does Wyclef's Haitian background and experience inform his his work? I mean, is it through the kind of the personal experiences that he had kind of coming to the United States and living in the United States as a Haitian immigrant? Or are there other elements of Haitian culture that he brings to the music and the perspective that he's expressing in this work? I I think it's actually all of that. Um, One of the things that he does uh, on a number of his albums 
is he talks about some of his experiences as an immigrant and how the transition from uh, a relatively young man, a, a young boy in Haiti to coming to the United States and the confusion and struggle that caused for he and his family uh, is certainly present in his music. And you get that from the titles of many of his CDs. Uh, the, the first album that he comes out with, The Carnival, uh, is obviously a reference to the sort of uh, Caribbean festival of Carnival. Uh, and I think that we get a lot of that in the music he makes. One of the things that he does that I think is interesting that really speaks to this immigrant connection uh, is that he raps both in English and in French and in Haitian Creole. And I think that that's kind of interesting because it really intensifies this idea that although Wyclef is clearly from or in the United States, he's got this connection to his history and family that is, you know, thousands of miles or a couple thousand miles away down in Haiti. And the ways in which he engages different languages helps to stress this. He also combines not only the sort of traditional East Coast or New York-inspired hip-hop, he, he does that, but he also combines reggae, reggaeton, and other sorts of song genres or music genres, which also signify, I think, the sort of mixing that goes into being an immigrant. So he's really producing sort of this trans-border music. And we get this a lot when we look at who he works with, too. He works with rap artists from Atlanta. He works with rap artists uh, from Montreal, Canada, who speak French. He works with New York-based artists and California-based artists. And you really, you know, he works with Shakira. And you really get this sense, Carlos Santana, that one of the things that's important to Wyclef's music is this idea of remixing, repurposing, and really transcending the borders of what music is and what it can do, and how it can speak to questions of migration. Well, so in the paper, you talk a lot about the sort of rhetorical strategies used in hip-hop music and in Wyclef's music specifically. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those and how those different rhetorical strategies might help inform legal scholarship as well. One of the things that I found interesting about Wyclef was the ways in which he used language in pretty provocative ways. And this, of course, isn't unique to Wyclef. You know, a lot of hip-hop artists use things like wordplay and metaphor and hyperbole, things that I talk about in this article. But the reason I think that those things are interesting, and a lot of people have written on the question of or the relationship between rhetoric and law, is that Wyclef seems to be using rhetoric and specific rhetorical techniques, which we'll talk about in a minute, to advance some legal criticisms. I think that's important because without those rhetorical techniques, the messages probably wouldn't be as digestible. I think that if Wyclef releases a spoken word album where he says police brutality is a problem, that probably sells less, probably doesn't get any radio play, and, and probably isn't as successful as some of the music he makes. In this article, I look at a couple look at a couple of different things. I look at irony, I look at hyperbole, and I look at a couple other uh, um, ideas like this anti legal identity that I talk about. And the reason I think those are interesting is because they allow some distance 
for the critic to take a step back and then engage in a criticism without necessarily offending or alerting the audience to that criticism. I think that we're more likely to engage in criticism and and to accept criticism if we have that sort of critical distance from it. And I think that's a lot of the work that Wyclef is doing. I think the reason he assumed things like the anti-legal identity is because rather than listen to Wyclef critique the police, if we can look at a, a situation with a fictional character or a persona and critique their relationship to the police, then that makes that critique a little bit safer. Now, obviously, we're, most people are, are quite comfortable critiquing the police, but you know, 11 years ago or so, that was less true. So I think that Wyclef's ability to distance himself from the criticism he makes is one of the important rhetorical maneuvers that he uses. I also think things like metaphor and irony help because they invest the listener in the criticism more. For example, we could say the police are bad. That's not very interesting. A lot of people think that. A lot of people tweet that. Um, But if we instead read a uh, or listen to Wyclef uh, narrate in the form of one of his songs or one of his intros, his interaction with the police, then we're more invested because we're, we're sort of watching a narrative unfold or we're listening to a narrative unfold. And I think that that invests us more in the criticism than if you were to just say the police are bad, being an immigrant is hard, the U.S. government does some pretty bad things to people of color. That's the end of the story. So I think that part of the part of the interest in Wyclef is the way he uses these techniques, uses rhetoric to make criticisms that are more digestible and more interesting to the listener. Well, one of the techniques you you look to is sort of the use of identity in a performative fashion, which you've alluded to somewhat earlier. And in, in particular, you talk about Wyclef Jean's use of the character Haitian Jack. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that character and how he uses it. Because in a lot of ways, it reminded me of the sort of character of, of Staggily, which I'm a little bit more personally familiar with. But but this sounded like a really interesting move and a really interesting way of kind of framing Haitian experience, immigrant experience, and the sort of relationship between uh, between certain communities and and the government and the law. Right. I think that uh, Haitian Jack, as the article kind of lays out, is this debated figure. We aren't quite sure if Haitian Jack references a real person, a collective of real people, if it's Wyclef himself, if it's somebody Wyclef knows, if it's somebody Wyclef has heard about. Uh, I think that the, the Lee reference is right on. Um, the, the use of Haitian Jack is, allows Wyclef to sort of encapsulate the Haitian experience. Haitian Jack is at part, um, or, or in part, a character that is lawless. Sometimes that character is violent. But sometimes that character is not those things. Is quite lawful. Is quite reasonable. Um, you know, if you if you hear him described in a specific song, you get the sense that he is a real person, not a mythical creation. And I think that playing with this concept of who is Haitian Jack, what does Haitian Jack do, 
really allows Wyclef to introduce the complexity of the immigrant experience into his music. Because there are these contradictory notions and, uh, of who Haitian Jack is or what Haitian Jack represents, that encapsulates the complexity of migrant experience in ways that we don't get a lot in hip hop. Uh, you know, hip hop is done, and I've written about, and many other uh, folks in law have written about the different ways in which hip hop has critiqued various government and political institutions. But we don't have nearly as much to say, I think, about the immigrant experience in hip hop. And I think that Wyclef is a good entry point into that sort of language, uh, into that sort of question, because he allows us, or and he makes clear to us that immigration is a central concern for people who live in cities, for people of color. And I think that Wyclef's emphasis on that through this character, Haitian Jack, who, who is this sort of amorphous character with many different facets, really emphasizes how important migration is to him and to his music. Well, I wonder if you could talk about how Wyclef Sean uses rhetorical tools like the rhetorical tools tools you mentioned earlier in relation to particular ideas or particular problems like in particular like in the paper you talk among other things about uh police violence and police misconduct sort of how how does he approach those particular issues in his music? And how do you think that provides a helpful kind of framing for thinking about them more difficult, more deeply, especially in, in the time or the particular historical moment in which he, he was writing and, and creating this work? So one of the things that I think Wyclef does is make these critiques of police violence. And um, this is featured in the article. There's this discussion of, uh, of him getting pulled over and the conversation with an undercover detective uh, or undercover police officer. And the police officer accuses him uh, of being a criminal or doing something bad. And, and he says, or when the police officer says, you just robbed a gas station, Wyclef responds, who me, not me, it couldn't be. I was at the Grammys with Brandy. Didn't you see me on TV? And so you get these you get these sort of playful engagements where Wyclef is really calling into question the veracity of police officer claims. Uh, his argument here is obviously he's famous and was just on television. How on earth could he have robbed the gas station? The police officer is alleging he has robbed. And. And I think that part of that playfulness, recasting this in fictional narratives, allows us to engage them in much more meaningful ways than if we just were to read police reports. And, and I think that's important because um, Wyclef is sort of rapping and working through the times where there are two pretty famous Haitian immigrant um, deaths. Uh, as a result, or, or, or violence as a result of the New York City Police Department. And that's Abner Louima and then Amadou Diallo. And, and Wyclef actually has a song uh, called Diallo about uh, the, the shooting. You know, he was shot 41 times uh, for, I guess, reaching for his wallet. Uh, and, and of course, these stories now sound, unfortunately, all too familiar. But 
what Wyclef allows us to do is to, instead of just reading these reports day after day in our local newspapers, on our local websites, and on Twitter, he recasts them musically and narratively, which I think make them easier to deal with. I think it's much harder for us. I mean, you, know, you get depressed, you get sad, you get frustrated, you get angry reading all these news reports again and again. And I think that this is an easier way to take on these issues, but no less effective because it's still focusing on the fundamental issue, issue of police violence. And so I think that Wyclef's ability to recast these ideas narratively helps him interrogate them in ways that are a little bit more comfortable and probably easier to digest than, and, and I think people are more likely to listen to the music. There's only so many times you can read the stories about police officers killing young black men before you, you know, you throw your computer against the wall and say, I can't do it anymore. And I think that Wyclef provides an, an entry point into that, that is maybe a little bit easier for people to get behind, probably less mentally taxing. And I think that's important because it's easy to get fatigued reading all of these stories and being exposed to the sort of evidence and reports that come out about these uh, shootings and police killings. So I, so I think that one of the reasons why Wyclef is interesting is this narrative recasting um, and that he makes these events more digestible and digestible in a different form. And that's important because we, there's only so much we can do and so many times we can hear the same sorts of stories again and again. Well, from the paper, I got the sense that there's a certain kind of distancing rhetoric used as well to kind of accomplish that goal in the sense that it sounds like the the ideas are expressed simultaneously in kind of a first person and third person format through the use of this kind of performative identity that you discussed. I mean, how do you think that affects people's perception of what they're hearing and sort of how can we think that think about that from the perspective of kind of legal scholars thinking about how to um, frame and address these uh, ideas and problems? I think the idea of performative identity is very important to Wyclef. And it's one of the ways that he's able to do a lot of the work that he does. Obviously, a whole bunch of scholars in law and beyond have written about performative identity. Um, and and I think that this sort of playing with the first person and the third person, Wyclef's music always makes us think, is this something that Wyclef experienced or did? And that sort of difficulty or, or trying to figure out what, whether or not these events happen to him or are just stories that we know to be true, whether it's the Diallo murder uh, or, or some other event that doesn't get reported. Um, that sort of distancing has been a rhetorical strategy used um, by particularly black radical thinkers for quite some time. I actually talk about this in, in my dissertation on George Jackson's prison letters, uh, where one of the things that he does is try to distance himself from the criticisms he's making, which I guess in some ways add to the logos or logic of the argument, because it's not him making the argument. It's not that he's invested in this argument but that the facts are what they are and the argument should logically follow in this direction. And I think that's some of what Wyclef is doing. Uh, when he distances himself from the criticisms, he's also trying, you know, well, he's trying to insert himself in his story and his relationship to the Haitian diaspora, 
uh, into migration more generally. He's also trying to say, you know, look, these are the facts that we have. These are the events that are transpiring. I'm simply retelling them in a way that is appropriate for the genre of music I work in. And, and that distancing, I think, makes the stories all that much more powerful. Being able to perform identity means that the performer gets to move around in different ways that wouldn't necessarily occur or probably could not occur if we assume that identity was stable and not performative. And I think that Wyclef's ability to move back between first and third person, the ability to distance from some of his criticisms, is really an attempt to try to let the logic of his argument play out without us thinking, oh, that's just Wyclef, or oh, the one bad apple argument, or uh, that may or may not have happened, but uh, this is just a rap song. And I think that that distance allows the listener to investigate the song and think more critically about the song, and also, ultimately, the logic of the arguments he's making. I was interested in the way that you kind of frame the music in relation to the legal system, because it seemed like what you were suggesting was that, among other things, it could operate as a way of mediating between insiders and outsiders to the legal system in the sense that, you know, the kind of broader audience for the music in question could use the music as a way of framing and understanding their own personal experience. But perhaps people who are insiders to the legal system could also use the uh, the work as a way of framing or thinking about the experiences of people from social perspectives or uh, kind of communities that they might themselves not uh, uh, inhabit. Yeah, I think that hip hop is a way for outsiders, uh, outsiders to hip hop or to urban life or to um, black life. I think hip hop is a way that people can access those questions and those issues and those personas in productive ways. We know um you know, all of the data continues to reflect that most of the people who consume hip hop, uh, you know, are white suburban youth. And this gets reported uh, in virtually every publication there is on hip hop. Uh, in terms of legal audiences, I think that, you know, if, you, if you're, uh, you've taken your first job out of law school and you're a, a county prosecutor or a public defender, uh, you may not have a job in a city you're familiar with or in a county or locality that you're familiar with. And you may have to deal with people who are different from you. Hip hop, I think, frames some of these life experiences in ways that are easier to access and are in some ways less threatening. Because, you know, if you're, if you're a, a white suburban kid who just graduated from some state law school and you go work in the, the state's largest city uh, as a public defender, you might not know what the heck is going on. And I think that hip hop is a way for legal insiders who are often hip hop outsiders to be able to think about the experiences of immigrants and people of color in ways that are understandable and easier to digest than if they were to go simply start interviewing clients uh, or interviewing police officers. And in that way, I think Wyclef's work is important 
because he makes some of these issues approachable to white youth, to young white lawyer lawyers, to people who are not immigrants. I think he makes uh, a lot of these issues approachable when those types of folks might have trouble getting these experiences or hearing of these experiences uh, on their own. Well, so Nick, in 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 closing, I I felt like reading your article that it had kind of a really unique structure and approach to doing legal scholarship, and and I got the impression that that was informed by the work that you were writing about. So I mean, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the aesthetics of of Wyclef Jean's work and hip hop music more generally, and how you think that might help inform and enrichen legal scholarship. I think one of the things that hip hop asks us to do is to think about what counts as an argument, what counts as proof, what counts as evidence, what counts as an effective way to convey messages. And the writing that I do in this piece and in some other pieces uh, is very much influenced by this idea of change and remixing and challenging what we know or accept to be the appropriate way to write a law review article uh, or or to to compose an essay. Because hip-hop is very much and has always been very much interested in questions of what language does and how we can use language to our advantage. Now, a lot of times, you know, if we're talking about public enemy and NWA, this was a question of how can we use language to critique systematic racism, uh, you know, in the in the 80s and 90s. Hip hop artists today are doing this similar work. And I think that if we're going to write convincing or readable or at least interesting legal scholarship, some of the things we have to do are to learn from hip hop. This includes things like not simply citing Supreme Court cases and law reviews. We should cite other works. We should look to song. We should look to movies. We should look to ways in which people come to the law. I write a lot about coming to the law and this idea that um, we bring with us all of our historical and social baggage when we approach the law. And whether or not we like it, a lot of people learn a lot more about police misconduct uh, or, or criminal procedure from hip hop songs than they do from reading their horn book. And so I think that if we're going to make convincing scholarship, we've got to appreciate that people get their ideas about law from sources that are traditionally not legal sources. And one of the things that, that I try to do with this work is to emphasize that we can learn quite a bit about law if we're looking at things that aren't strictly legal, not you know common law or statutes or, or administrative procedures. And, and I think that, that those aesthetics, the remixing, the calling into question what counts as truth, uh, questions of authenticity, which are always central to questions of hip hop, I think that using hip hop in this way really asks us to think about how we write and argue in law and ways in which we might expand our understanding of argument in law so that we can include, at the very least, more voices 
but probably also so that we can have a more holistic understanding of the social, political, and ultimately juridical notions that inform the law. Well, Nick, thanks so much for coming back on the show to talk about this fascinating and uh, creative paper. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks very much, Brian.